The following message is from the 2016 IBCD Summer Institute. Disordered Desires, Bringing Grace to Modern Sexuality. Well, welcome um, to helping women with child sexual abuse in their past. Um, we might have a couple more people coming in. thought we could take care of some housekeeping things first. Unfortunately, because there's going to be publisher involved in this that you're getting today, a lot of the resources, especially in the next hour, if you wouldn't mind making sure that something similar to this is put on your notes, which didn't make it on there, and I think the the resources have it, but if if not, just something to the effect that it can't be taught or copied as is without permission. Um, and uh, I'm giving you permission. <laughs> we, what I'm giving you permission for, as far as I can go, is that you may copy something to work one-on-one with someone else. But to copy it in mass wouldn't be okay right now. Um, and then uh, if you want to email me uh, for some of the resources that I'm not giving you today... I'll be glad. If you're like, you're working with someone right now and you really think, gee, I could use that, then just email me and I can send it to you. My email is number 2zondra at gmail.com. This is probably going to be an issue. I don't know how to turn up the volume. Sharon, do you know how to turn up the volume? No. If anybody else thinks they know how to turn it on, I'll do my best to remember to speak louder. Um, it's kind of hard to see your notes and be in front of the microphone. But uh, I may take it off and hold it at some point. But anyhow, I'm thankful that we're here today. This is sometimes a difficult subject to think about or talk about. But it's a very important one to God and to women. Um, And before I pray, I just want to share with you, obviously, God does speak to this. Uh, We may not necessarily readily have on our fingertips all the things that God says that's going to relate to this. But he does speak to it. Um, And the statistics today... Well, I'll say the statistics earlier were one in six men were sexually abused as as children, one in four women. Um, Since the 1990s, there's been actually a 62% decline in um, child sexual abuse, largely because in 1980, the Child Abuse Reporting Act was implemented. Now... Darkness to Light, which is a a organization that um, it's a national organization. It's not necessarily biblically based, but they do have a lot of information and statistics and on all that sort of thing. Now they are saying it's one in ten children before the age of eighteen, but still only thirty percent are reported, and forty-two million adults are in the U.S., um, are supposed in the U.S. that have been um, sexually abused as children. But I'm here to, I'm here by God's grace to reinforce that Christ in his word is sufficient for even this. And uh, that's because he's greater. And a woman in this position can walk at liberty and glorify God with her life with joy in Him. Let's go ahead and pray and then we'll continue. Our dear Lord Jesus, we come to you now and we just ask, well, first of all, we just give you praise and we thank you for who you are and what you have done for us and what you can do in our lives. Lord Jesus, we ask you for this hour and the next hour that you would 
work through your word and through me to just help equip us better um, to help other women who've had this travesty in their past. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you are sufficient. I thank you that she can walk in liberty. It's in your name we pray and we ask these things. Amen. Okay, so to start, I'd like us to read Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. These are the, the prophetic words of the, uh, through Isaiah of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they say, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting, so they will be called oaks of righteousness." The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. And that's what we're, that's our goal. When we have a woman in front of us that needs this help. So, Could you say Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. Now, obviously, oh, and this, we're calling this from bondage to worship. Uh, but obviously, to begin, we need great compassion. Um, there are varying degrees of sexual abuse, in a sense, because even the mildest can have the greatest impact, depending on the person and the circumstances. But there are varying degrees of sexual abuse, and there are also varying degrees of impact. But most often, there's deep pain involved, confusion, and shame. A good look at the effects of this kind of a circumstance can be found in the story of Tamar in the Bible, 2 Samuel 13. It's a very sad story um, of one messed up family. And it's actually the family of David, surprisingly, the man after God's own heart. But the story goes that Amnon, the half-brother of Tamar, raped Tamar. He, in his lust, and he called it love, he had a just burning, unquenchable, what he called love for her. He plotted his opportunity, and unsuspecting Tamar was violated. Then he hated her with a vengeance. Because of his guilt, he hated her with a vengeance, and he rejected her ruthlessly. In her pleading and her response to this, she uses the word disgrace, reproach. She put ashes on her head. She tore her robe. She went wailing with her hand on her head. Her brother then told her not to take it to heart and to keep silent. And it's not one of David's shining moments that he was very angry, but he did nothing. So the story of Tamar ends... Uh, verse 20, I'm going to read that as it is, Second Samuel 13. Uh, verse 20, then Absalom, her brother, said to her, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? But now keep silent, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this matter to heart. Talk about 
a lack of compassion. He had no idea. That's impossible <laughs> not to take it to heart. So Tamar remained and was desolate in her brother Absalom's house. And unfortunately, that's how the story ends. We don't know that she did anything but live a life of desolation. The good news is that the woman who's come to us, and I can speak from experience, the good news is she does not have to end up like Tamar. Though maybe by the time she's sitting in front of you, she's lived many years that way, or at least very troubled, confused, um, and having difficulty living the Christian life. For many, this is a mountain insurmountable. This is how they're thinking. It's a mountain insurmountable. She can... She cannot believe that she can live as her Bible tells her to in relationship to God and other people. It may be that she's not grappling with that fact so much if she's spent her life running and we can talk about some of the uh, ways that women sometimes choose not to face reality which doesn't get you anywhere. Um, but she but she doesn't have to have her story in like Tamar's story so she may come and she may have never told anyone and she's likely complicated her life by her own sin her own sense of response and patterns and uh, it has certainly made things worse So we need to have great compassion. But I want to caution us that we don't need to belabor, we want great compassion, but we don't want to belabor her pain and her suffering. That is not going to help her. In fact, it can be actually quite cruel. Uh, We know psychology tells us that that her answers lie in getting in touch with her pain. And that's just not true. We want to have great compassion, but we want to move on. We want to weave with her, perhaps, but we want to move on to the hope and to the help that's available to her. So we can also show, that that was uh, A, we can also show um, great compassion in being very heavy on hope. Now, we know we always want to give a lot of hope when we're counseling, but honestly, if there was ever a place to give an extra you know, dose of it, it would be here because of what she probably comes believing. Second um, Peter 1, 3 through 4, we know is a great passage about the fact that God has the answers for this uh, in his promises, in him, in his promises. Um, Romans 5.20, where sin abounds, grace abounds. Psalm 119.45, we talked about, all. I think, already, I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. 2 Corinthians 9.8, about the abounding grace of God for all sufficiency, for everything, for every good deed. Um... I often would use John 16.33, that the the gospel of Christ and his truth is the one thing that's going to make a difference um, because he has come to deal with it and to overcome it, and he can help her to overcome it too. So you can use these passages to begin... A hope that things can be different, that this can become small. And you could also use 1 Corinthians 10.13 to inform her, and maybe with the statistics, to inform her she's not alone. Because she feels alone, most likely. (laughs) She likely sees herself completely different from others. Uh, perhaps with a big D on her head for different, for 
disgrace or desolation. You know, it, it just it depends. Like I said, the effects are varying, but um, she definitely needs to know she's not alone in this, and that there is great hope for this to be put in its place, to become small, and for it to really be a non-issue in her life other than uh, to use it for good. So, C. A careful approach. This is really important um, with other matters, I'm sure too, but with this uh, particular issue, that you approach data gathering or trying to gain information from her, her story in a careful way. Um, most do not come wanting to talk about it, but you really need her to talk about it. You need to find out what the struggles are, what her heart is, what the basic facts are. And so often, you know, I'll just tell her up front things like, um, just to set her mind at ease, that what I will do and I won't do, that I'm not into her reliving anything, um, that um, what, we, what we're going to try to do and not do, I'm going to be asking her questions. She doesn't have to worry about what to say or what to tell me, that I'll know what to ask her. Um, I'm going to tell her that we will stop and pray, and I will help her if she starts to have trouble. Because quite a number of women who have this in their past struggle with panic attacks. And that's perhaps one of the reasons they've never come forward. Because they, you know, even just dealing with it, the thought of dealing with it could bring on a panic attack. And so I'm going to tell her that I will help her, that we can stop, we will pray, I'll help her with her thinking, and we'll be able, she'll be able to, to go on. And I just want to you know, let her know that. There was a gal who I counseled that this was great, great fear. Um, she had lived for years with daily panic attacks, or at least a, a few weekly. Um, at the time she came, she was having them really regularly. She was awake through the night. She was really struggling. And she didn't want to come. Um, she was a new believer. She knew she needed to come. It took quite a bit of convincing to get her to come and to open up uh, because not only did she struggle with panic attacks, but she had gone to help for some of her life-dominating sins. See, she had turned to her these life-dominating sins, and she wanted help for those. And every time she reached out for help, it was absolutely disastrous. Everything from... She had been told she had a demon and needed to have it cast out of her. Of course, the whole psychology route was a nightmare because they convinced her she had been uh, abused in ways she hadn't been and all these things and accusing members of the family that shouldn't have been accused. And it was just, it was really, really difficult. Um, she had great difficulty with the church that she tried to go to for help. They didn't have an understanding of uh, a biblical understanding of sanctification and repentance and, and the process of putting on and putting off. And so the fact that she struggled with these things meant she wasn't a believer. It just every time she tried to reach out, it was disastrous. So you know, sometimes it takes some real convincing and, and, and setting one's mind mind at ease. I would tell her that we're going to get just enough so that I understand what's going on in her heart and her life so that um, I know the facts and we're looking for what, how, to what degree, um, how violent or not, those kind of things. But you, you don't have to, you know, she's not going to have to belabor those points with you. Um, Okay, so in this data gathering, we're going to be, as usual, seeking to understand her thinking, her responses, her life agendas, what her life agendas have become, and how these things were handled at the time, how she's handled them since, 
Again, like I said, her present struggles and difficulties. Uh, don't expect that these will always be the same for each person. Uh, the circumstances are different. The person is different. And um, just through our listening, we really understand what she in particular is going to need. Okay, so next, once we have uh, gotten through getting information, had the session of just that initial session with her and, and drawn out as much information we can, the first, some of the first sessions, we're going to want to, A, begin to help her reconcile what has happened. Now, I'm not saying that we can answer every question she has up front, or maybe every single question, but most definitely, there's a lot that can be answered for her uh, that needs to be answered. Um, There's much that she can reconcile with God's truth. Things she can't reconcile otherwise. We need to help her to see how in the world does what happened fit into life, who God is, and her relationship with Him. And one of the ways uh, that we can do that is helping her understand a Christian worldview. I mean, even if she's come to the Lord, you know, it may be that she really hasn't put together a Christian worldview, especially with what's happened. Um, and I'm coming, I'm going to try to come at this today from someone who's great, greatly impacted. Um, not everything I say maybe apply to every person, but um, I thought that I would address it that way. So she needs a Christian worldview, understanding of her past. To do that, we want to unfold for her God's master plan. Uh, you don't have that, but it should be there. God's master plan. Uh, and that is that from the beginning, he had a plan for people of his own forever. She needs to see and know how in the world sin and redemption fits into God's plan. How what happened to her fits in the whole the fall and sin. Um, She just needs to see the bigger picture that God intended to have a people of his own to worship and abide in him and he being sufficient sufficient for all. He being uh, everything to them. You'll need to address with her... Like I said, the fall, sin, and suffering, that's A, in case I've lost you. And uh, God's intention there, God's heart, and his response concerning sin and suffering. We're going to look at this a little more in the next hour because I have a particular chart diagram that I use to help her with that. Um, you want to be detail for her how her own fallen undeserving condition um, is, is important. It'll only help her to it'll help her in her perspective but also lead her to God's grace in the gospel. So after a Christian worldview of sin and suffering, you can perhaps unfold for her for the first time the clear and glorious gospel. It's going to make sense with the bigger picture, with her knowing where sin and suffering came from, with her understanding how does that fit in with God and His plan and His allowing sin to come into our world. Um, I'm going to give you some resources on that, and there are other things out there, you know, on suffering and, and putting that together with who God is. But it'll bring great hope to her. If you get into the gospel and you're talking about that master plan and God's plan for her life and she begins to see this is unstoppable, that's going to bring her hope. 
that it's actually unstoppable, God's plan for her. She's looking at it, it's impossible. But we got to get her looking at it, it's unstoppable. If she's in Christ. Okay? All right, let me catch up here. Okay, so the next um, thing, or, or definitely important thing that I would address in the first session, some of the first sessions, would be that she must, in order to be free and bring glory to God, emerge from this counseling with a high, perfect, and benevolent view of God. She must come to that. So that's going to be an area that you're going to have her really doing homework in. Um, And I've got a ton of verses, as you can see, for every one of these points. We don't have time to um, go into those. And, And, of course, the power is in the verses. But definitely she needs to see this. And she can come to that place. Um, Isaiah 63.9 teaches us that in all our affliction, he was afflicted. Or he is afflicted. It's about Israel and all their affliction. And it's actually talking about the affliction that was caused from their sin and disobedience. That's the grace of God. And that will be definitely the grace of God to her. It helps her to know that in her affliction, God is afflicted. Psalm 89.14 teaches us that righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne, but loving kindness and truth go before him. It goes before every decision. It goes before every work. His loving kindness and truth. So she must come to repent of any wrong views of God. Now, we, we under, it can be very understandable, some of the things that we come to, but it's also mixed in with our own <laughs> fallenness, our own simple bent. And she needs to come to repent of any wrong views of God that will help her and to embrace that the suffering God allows is not an indication of his unfaithfulness or his indifference but of his desire and purpose to love her more, to be God to her, to be good to her in some very important way, some very important, blessed, needed way, all the while bringing glory to himself. Now that's a mouthful, and I think I'll write that on the board when we break, but she needs to see a different view of the suffering that God allows And what it does and it doesn't mean. Okay, so if she has come to Christ, um, we're going to want to add um, a a good deal of conversation on her new identity in Christ. Now, how I like to do this um, is use a diagram of the great dividing line of when she became a Christian, what that means, what was, what no longer is, what is now, and also a document on um, who we are in Christ. But I just, I show her what she was and what was true. And I talk about 2 Corinthians 5.17 and that she in very key ways is a new creation. She's not the same person. And um, then I talk about what is true, who she, who she is now, because of Christ, who she is in Christ, and what the realities are now. And she will have to learn to live on this side and not this side, because it, she may have lived over here for so long. Um, this is that document I was telling you about doesn't look right on here, but um, this is a three-page document of print this small with every uh, aspect, or at least most of them, (laughs) of who we are in Christ and the verses underneath that she can meditate on. You can give her this for homework, and she can be going over these things. She needs a new perspective of who she is in Christ.
This is one of those things that you can email me for. I don't think I gave it. I didn't want to overwhelm them with so much material. So um, that's one of those things you can email me for, both those things. Now, when we're talking about her identity, there's some things that are really, really important. One of the main things is that it be with the right perspective. I think we can all agree that the word identity has been almost ruined by the realm of psychology and just worldly thinking. There has to be God's perspective on this. And what it, God's perspective basically is, it's all about God. It's not about us. Um, there is a document... Um, that my husband did for a blog uh, for the um, one of the counseling blogs called Our Identity Shouldn't Be a Focus in Counseling. Um, you could send, send for that if you'd like. But basically the identity perspective that glorifies God or how, thinking about our new identity in Christ in a way that glorifies God glorifies God, promotes true joy and Christ-like change, uh, there's two ditches on either side, and then there's the biblical view, of course, God's view. One of the ditches, which is really promoted now, is, wow, me! And she may feel instantly or momentarily just so much better to hear, I'm wonderful! Um, But it's not going to help her. And it's going to fall very flat. But this particular dish is, wow, me, in Christ. Very little Christ. (laughs) Okay? Um, The other dish is actually, it's not uncommon either, just Christ. There's no me. Forget me. I don't talk about me. I don't talk about what, who I am in Christ. And actually, she cannot glorify God the way she should for what he has done for her. If she's not thinking about that, and she's not praising God for that. So both of those are ditches not to fall into. And of course, how God wants us to think about it is, wow, Christ in me. And me made whatever by him. All because of, all for, and all praise to Christ. We don't land on us. It's, it's to have the perspective that he is to be praised. All glory to him for what he has done for us. Now that might be very different from things she's gotten from other places, but very important. Also, Number four, number four, a God and others focus. She spent a lot of time uh, out of whatever, um, fear, um, feeling the need for approval, um, thinking about what she is or what she isn't. Um, She may... She likely will have spent a lot of time being very self-focused. And she needs to get a God and others focused. So it's important to begin opening her understanding of where, what she should be focusing on. What, what should have the attention in her life. Because maybe this is just, it's just looming. It's just there. It's always something that she is... Um, held back by and something that she's bemoaning still and, and, and struggling with still. So helping her see where the focus should be is important. That's after compassion. That's after hope. That's after giving her a different perspective, helping her reconcile things some, you know, to really begin to help her see 
what her own perspective has been and what it needs to be. Okay, and then C, of course we're going to want to talk about the gospel and her change. You want to go into more, we gave her hope in the beginning, but she really needs to understand how that change works and, and, how, and why it is so possible. So we definitely are going to get back into the topic of change is possible, that she doesn't need to be defined by it or uh, enslaved to her patterns that she's developed. She needs to know that while she's definitely been influenced, that things don't need to, to stay that way. Not only is she able to change in Christ, she's responsible to change in Christ. She's responsible to be free from the enslaving power of sin, from the sin of others, from living according to her circumstances, and from being bound by her responses. Not only is she able, she is responsible. She's able now in Christ to begin working on this, and she's responsible to. So several things here are going to help her have hope for change and to realize it. A, where do the effects come from? Um, we tend to think this happened, that made me this way. We're told that, you know, in our in our culture, um, as initially impacting as this hurtful and wicked sin is, the long-lasting effects come from number one: what goes on in her own mind and her own heart. How she thinks about it, how she thinks about her, what she believes, what she believes about God, and all the conclusions that she draws. This is largely where the impact comes from. Number two, how she complicates things with her own sin. That's going to make great impact in her life, too. Number three, her own fallen nature, her own fallen condition and her and brokenness from the fall. Okay, so those three things are where the effects come from. Uh, obviously, I'm not saying that did not impact her. It, it was a horrible thing. Um, but the long-standing impact comes from these other things. And we're going to talk more about that next hour how to help her in some of these ways. Proverbs 19.3 says, A person's own folly begins their ruin, yet their heart rages against the Lord. Proverbs 19.3. So her heart is really, really important. This tells us that it's not what happened that undoes her, but what follows. Okay? All right, so B, the gospel in her daily thinking. This has got to make a difference to her practically daily in her thoughts. It needs to, with all its promises and its obligations, be applied and operational in her, her daily, what she's speaking to her heart and and what she's believing. And see, change is obviously dependent on the word. The application of truth to her heart and her mind when it counts. Christ said to the Father, he prayed, sanctify them by thy truth. It's going to be the word that's really going to make change in her heart. Okay, and D, she needs to understand. I'm going to go ahead and put the rest of these up here. She needs to understand all the key players in change. Um, beyond the Word of God, it's 
God himself, most of all, it's her. God says it's her, that she is a part of this change. And it's the church. Uh, with encouragement, accountability, assistance. Believers must be a part of her life. So the key players are very important. E, exercising unto godliness with the put-on, put-off principle. She must understand that for lasting change, she is called to exercising herself unto godliness with the put-on, put-off principle. Okay, which is, you must work with God in dependence on him for gospel reasons to put on righteous alternatives in order to put off old habitual ways. I'm going to read that again. You must work with God in dependence on him for gospel reasons for all that Christ has done for you. To put on righteous alternatives in order to put off old habitual ways. Okay, and then number two under the gospel of your change, she needs to, you need to have discussions about living for God's glory because of the cross and his worthiness. Living for his glory, not for her and what she desires, what she hasn't had, what she would like to see in her life, but living for God's glory. Number three, and then also, again, depending on the grace of God, uh, his sufficient help as she does. Otherwise, she'll give up. They give up, don't they? Um, or they fail in really big ways because they're doing things in their own strength. We've got to have her appropriate when she's seeking to put off and put on that Christ is in her and she needs to depend on his power and his strength. Okay, now number three, getting to the heart of things. Sharing exactly what time must I let them go. Exactly what So getting to the heart of things. Now we have... Uh, come through you know some very basic things that she needs in the beginning and then number we've come through the gospel interchange and we really need to get to the heart of things at this point you want to help her deal with the past biblically this could likely be the first time that she's really known what God wants her to do and what she can do about her past, about what seems like a big, confusing mess of hurt and sin and guilt, most likely. All right, so number one, you want to talk with her about guilt and shame and self-judgments. Very important. Uh, the difference between guilt and shame, a lot of times... The world talks about guilt, and it's not guilt, it's shame. Guilt is actually being culpable for something. Um, Shame is believing, believing that something about you before others, okay? Or something about you to yourself. Or something about you that others have have said to you, but but guilt, and we could get into a lot of things here, but false guilt is not a good direction to go in. You want to differentiate between guilt and shame, and you will have something in what you have to go over that with her. You want to outline also each kind of past, when and what. Um, you can use the dealing uh, with the past part. You do have that. Um, it looks like a chart that has columns on it, and it's somewhat Steve Byers inspired uh, with his putting the past in his place. 
but you can uh, use that chart to help her outline the different kinds of her past because right now it's just one big ball of mess. And it's very important to distinguish what kinds of past she's struggling with so that she can deal appropriately with each kind. So in addressing her past, um, what I like to do before I do that chart, did you find that? I can show you what it looks like. I thought I was going yeah, I didn't have one too. All right, so it looks like this is, that the Tavis is dealing with the past biblically. You should have that. If you don't, I can get that for you, but you should have it. Um, we're going to talk about this next hour. I'm going to go over this with you. But what I like to do first is talk about her blessings. Not something she does a whole lot of. But really talking about in her life, there have been things that, that have been blessings. And um, you can go over that with her. It's going to help her have a better perspective and be encouraging to her. Uh, Then we need to talk about her innocent past. That is her innocent, difficult past. That's B on your outline. Clarifying what's not her responsibility. Um, How she was sinned against. Um, making sure that you you, you know and um, that she doesn't mix that with her responsibility where it doesn't belong. Um, but her innocent, difficult past. Then her guilty response past. And there's going to be a purpose for her doing this, for do, her doing this chart. It's very effective because we're going to m- eventually move everything to the last column. Okay? So, but we're... We're going to talk about her guilty response past. And again, some of these things are maybe understandable, but they're still sin and they're still destructive. So you have to deal with them and and she has to see them as God sees them. Um, Romans 12, 9-21 can help her um, identify some of those symbol responses. Um, and a lot of other biblical principles too. But we want to instruct her on her simple responses and her responsibility for those. Okay, and then also under her guilty response past, address false refuges and idols, idolatrous lusts. Some typical false refuges for someone who has... Um, had child sexual abuse in their past might be not facing reality by pretending, ignoring fantasies, creating fantasies in her mind, distractions, creating constant distractions, busyness, just overworking to, to not face or deal with, TV and movies, living there instead of living where she is. It, it, it can become just... Uh, overwhelming in her life, the amount of time she might spend at that, or novels, um, cutting. Cutting can be very much a relief, and it's not uncommon for someone who's had this in their past to, to turn to cutting or drugs to help with the pain, pleasure, uh, simple pleasure, misuse of food, sleep, misuse of sleep. Other people, you know, depending on in simple, in an ungodly way, in an inordinate way, or trying to, other people. Some typical idolatrous lusts would be the love of approval, the lust of approval. This was definitely me. I was a people pleaser to the hilt. Um, Significance, control, security. Trouble-free life, physical appearance, attention, involvement. They're, this person may just constantly be trying to do things to get people involved in their lives and, because they haven't had that perhaps that they have wanted and, and should have had um, when they were younger. A deep, soul-satisfying relationship. She may turn to believing that that is what is going to really uh, make her happy and and be soul-satisfying, another relationship. 
Okay, and then also we want to address, before I do that actually, we want to address other sins, okay, that, that the abused often choose. Some of the more rebellious sins of reaction would be bitterness, vengeance, evil for evil, anger, unbelief, distrust of God, distrust of God's word, judging God, putting God on the witness stand. Again, these things, some of these things we understand the grappling with, but what's going to help her? The kindest thing that we can do is help her with her sin. That's going to make the changes in her life, uh, some of the great changes that she needs. Um, and certainly is going to allow her to please the Lord and glorify Him. You want to carefully address these in love, um, but definitely don't shy away from addressing them. That was one of the best things that was done for me, is that I, I was addressed in my life. That's where the hope comes from. There is hope for sin, right, and change. Um, Okay, so self-preoccupation sins, um, self-degradation, inaccurate self-degradation, or in place of confession and repentance, self-pity, the victim mentality, seeking, we'll talk about that a little bit later, seeking self-esteem, i got to really hurry, comparing, lack of God and others' focus. These are all things that you will in time need to go over with her and they can end up on this this chart that you're working on with her. Self-preservation, walls, repelling others, phobias, fears, worry, anxiety, running away from things, self-exalting, righteousness, perfectionism, purging, punishments, tearing down others, see self as better than others, over-service and over-accomplishment, wrong priorities. These are all things that, um, sins that she can turn to. Living a life of hiding uh, or um, actually deceit because she's kind of lived in a sense hiding. Um, she can have, deceit can be a real part of her life. She can, can have trouble with lying and hiding and misleading. A lack of true love because when you're self-focused you cannot loving. You're not really loving when thinking of others. Sexual impurity, promiscuity, self-gratification, homosexuality, and then fearing man rather than God, not, not dealing with others as God would have her to do. So um, the next kind of past that you want to deal with is her guilty past, not directly related to a response. Her guilty past not directly related to a response. And then finally, her God-glorifying past. Perhaps she was a believer. Perhaps she has glorified. She's not seeing any of that. How has she glorified God? When did she do the right thing? Um, what God would have her to do. And um, that can be encouraging to her too. So we'll talk more about that chart uh, later. And then what should be number three is help her to actually put her past in its place. Okay, so after you've done this chart, you need to help her begin to really put her past in place. And it starts with confession, um, thankfulness, repentance plans, as well as uh, ways to carry out what God's Word says in each of those columns. It's going to take, you know, some weeks to deal with each column God's way. But um, dealing with each kind of path. But, but, but she really does need to have that time of confession that turns to the Gospel and, and thankfulness. Okay, so... Number four... What should be number four? It might be number three on your outline. Um, outline any troubling or simple thoughts and memories with her. That can include recurring flashbacks. Um, 
okay, so you're going to be trying to gain from her her fearful thoughts, her inaccurate uh, thoughts about God, herself, um, God boy thinking, and one of the ways that that you can do this is from the from the get go and from the the beginning is to have her do a thought journal where she's actually when she gets into trouble when she's having difficulty she's going to write down what she's thinking and when she thinks about this whole issue have her try to write down what some of her thoughts are and that will give you a place to start if she's cutting or using drugs and you know you're going to have to work on some that that's going to be some of the more urgent things but um First, you want to just try to outline some of those troubling thoughts, and you would have gotten them along the way, just in discussion, just as she talks. You know, we're writing down those thoughts as she's saying them. Okay, so once you get to the heart of things by dealing with her past, um, a second crucial part of getting to the heart of things is B. For her to renew the, her mind and her responses, you're going to help her to be really begin to work in the area of renewing her mind and her responses. You want to teach her what it means to renew and why, for God's glory, obviously, because there's so much corrupting her thinking and because it's so affecting her life. Okay. Uh, you're going to be going to relate it to the put off, put on principle. Again, you're going to instill dependence in her work on doing this, um, and you're going to actually help her to develop new thinking with specific scripture and her own specific prayers at strategic times. Next hour, we're going to look at that. Some more. Very, very important step in her change is helping her to actually come up with new thoughts, new ways of thinking. So big picture, we've come through hope. We've come through helping her reconcile some things in, uh, with God and life and um, the gospel. We have talked to her about her true identity um, and her hope of change. We have uh, gotten to the heart of some things with dealing with her past specifically, dealing with her, uh, beginning to deal with her thinking. And you may want to, depending on, this is, by the way, a thought chart on uh, how her thoughts are affecting her. It's from her thoughts that her feelings and her emotions come and then her actions and then her character and habits. Okay? Um, we're going to look at that renewing the thought form next hour. You can do a discovering problems pattern chart with her, especially depending on what kind of sins she's into, um, to have her write down when she's tempted or when she fails, um, when she has times of panic, you know, and fear, uh, what was happening. You're just going to have her try to jot down some of those things. It can be really helpful to see patterns and to know what kind of thoughts you need to work on there. And then also a dehabituation list, what I call a dehabituation list, for righteous alternatives. She needs to be really with the right, um, for the right reason and with the right Dependence, um, really working at turning towards those righteous alternatives and putting off the old ones. So she's going to need a list of those, and you can help her. Okay, we have just a few more minutes. There are some other coming through those things and getting to the heart of things. Then there's some other really important considerations I just want to touch on. Uh, the victim mentality, very destructive. It's not in line with God's truth. And while she may have been a victim in the instance, in God's perspective, she is not a victim. Her, 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 her identity, who she is, is not a victim. So um, there's also a document for that, the victim mentality document, I call it, and uh, that my husband and I did. And we can, um, if you feel the need for that, you could... 
uh, email me for that. Also, let's see. So that's the victim mentality, her daily walk with Christ. Uh, we're going to talk about abiding and what that means, and we don't have time to do that right now. <laughs> uh, being alert to the spiritual battle and her armor. There's a real spiritual battle going to be going on. The Satan has had strongholds in her life probably for a long time. And you want to alert her to that battle and her, the armor and what, would, what might be the favorite caveats of the evil one. Ways of thinking and situations, you know, that he wants to use. Um, her other relationships, very likely she is relationally stunted. She needs to know how they should work. She, she really might not have a clue how, what friendships should be like and what place they should have, what place other people should have. Um, how to implement real biblical love also. Another really important uh, thing that you want to get to, and this will come later as opposed to sooner, is dealing with the abuser and the abuser's sin. Um, there's going to need to be real understanding about confrontation and forgiveness versus bitterness and returning good for evil. Um, and we're not talking about the therapeutic type of, you know, talking to someone and, or, or a therapeutic form of forgiveness. It's not for her. It's for God's glory. It's for the other's good. And I think next hour when we first started, I might talk just a little bit about this, the forgiveness issue because um, it is so key. Number two, so that was forgiveness. Number two, helping her expose the deeds of darkness for others' good. Um, she's not going to be ready for this in the beginning. She should be ready for it by this time. But helping her realize that most abusers do not abuse one child. It's going to be many. And she does need to you know, come forward and uh, help the helpless and uh, do what needs to be done there. And that might spill into legal issues. I'm just going to take like two more minutes. Um, legal issues that you will have to deal with. Um, there's a re- the reporting issue. If you are counseling in a formal way, like through a church or um, you know, as a counselor, certified counselor, you don't have to be certified to counsel kind of formally. You know what I mean? You're in an office and someone's coming to talk to you. Um, you are. You must report immediately, even suspected child abuse, child sexual abuse, um, by phone, immediately. And it's, you have to work with your counselee on that, but you, uh, you don't have a choice uh, by law. And there's a, an official list of all who are responsible to report. And it's basically anybody who's in any kind of a counselling role that, or anybody that's in any kind of authority role especially in uh, education areas, but it is any physician, any state or government social services, law enforcement, any person working in education, church or ministry, anybody working in church and ministry, sports, media, um, firefighters. I mean, it's it's a a lot. It's most people. (laughs) But if you're just a friends and you're talking to someone um, you don't necessarily have, that law is not speaking to you about immediately but otherwise it is and you report to the police or sheriff, the sheriff's department um, a county probation department you can uh, sometimes need to do that because it involves somebody in, in probation um, county child protective services is someone else you can report to um there is a statute of limitations on these things. It's different for each state. You need to know about your state. The state of California, it is eight years, statute of limitations. It starts, that statute of limitation, limitation, limitation starts at age 18. They deem that by 18, you have put together 
the impact of this on your life and begin to understand what really happened to you, they, they had to come up with a, t- a time. And so they start that statute of limitation at age 18. And California has within their laws the ability to waive, to leave and waive that eight-year statute of limitations in some circumstances. So she may, the, the, the gal who's coming to you for help, may need help to deal with the criminal authorities. Um, there, there is criminal prosecution. There's also civil prosecution for losses, especially any kind of monetary losses that could come from that. Um, the state provides for anyone who has been sexually abused and a counselor that might need a little help navigating the lawful aspect of things and what's going to happen in court if that comes in the picture or anything. Um, they provide a victim advocate that I would say could be very helpful to you, but it's going to, you're going to be in tandem with them to give her the biblical perspective of things, right? Okay, and finally, her understanding of sex from a biblical perspective is going to be really important. Um, perhaps she has a fear, you know, of sex. Perhaps she has, she might have problems in marriage, sexual problems, problems with intimacy in marriage, um, and she may need further work in the areas of promiscuity or um, homosexuality or just same-sex attraction. Um, because she's gone in that direction. So all these things, obviously, they will be a process for her, um, for the woman who, who sits in front of you with a life that's really been affected. How quickly these things happen um, is how, quick, how quickly they can be addressed, how quickly she will take them up, and, of course, you know, Sometimes they're not believers, and this it's very difficult uh, for them to make progress. But um, they can, and for me, in a matter of two months, I was truly in a different place um, from the counseling that that God graciously provided for me. Um, but the woman in front of you will first go on your hope and your confidence in God and his word and her, her ability to, to know him and to change. And uh, next hour, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about some of these resources a little bit more. I'm going to get into, um, you know, helping her with her perspective on... Um, where her responses have come from. We'll talk about that a little bit more and uh, the renewing the mind and those sort of things. And we'll probably start off a little bit with forgiveness. Thank you for hanging in there. I know it's a lot <laughs> to cover in an hour, and I'm sorry we're a little bit over. You are free to break. Copyright 2016, IBCD. All rights reserved. More free resources are available at www.ibcd.com dot o-r-g